Good morning. Typically, I tend to be um, more of an exhorter um, to the, the great joys and wonders of who God is. Um, this morning, I have a very sober message, and it has been troubling me for a while, and it was interesting that Pastor Paul, when he texted me, he said, would you consider coming and preaching There has been a thought that's been percolating in my mind for months and months now, and this passage of Scripture has been kind of like dovetailing in these thoughts. And um, so I believe this morning I have a timely word for us in this untimely season. We're going to be looking at an old passage, a parable that must, we must consider and reconsider for the implications for us is really life and death. Death may not mean physical, but it is dying nonetheless. This morning, the Lord is drawing a line in the sand. And Satan wants and will cross that line with cavalier malice because of his hatred for our God and because of his hatred for us. We were just hearing an exhortation about how important the word of God is. Satan hates that word. And this morning, we are going to look at some of his tactics and the reasons why he hates this word. The apostle Paul exhorts us To take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our enemy is out to steal our only offensive weapon in the the armor of God. John writes in 1 John chapter 2. Now, I'm going to be really sober here. I'm sorry. I know, I think before when I've come here, it's been a feel-good message. I think in the end, you will feel good because you will be better equipped. So I'm not going to apologize anymore for our sober message because I think the Lord wants to expose the enemy and his tactics so that we can have more freedom, more joy, and experience what God has for us. In John, John writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. We have an enemy. And he is real. Even though he wants us to believe otherwise. Probably right now he's whispering in some of your ears saying, Oh great, a sermon on demons? (laughs) Does Pastor know? Does Pastor Paul know he's doing this? If he gets weird, I'm leaving. It's funny, I know atheists that that don't believe in God, and they really don't know what they believe, say they believe in the devil. But Christians who know their Bible get all weird about this enemy of the faith. Well, if it's any comfort to you, we won't be spending a lot of time on him, but more on his tactics and a look at the possible reason why he does what he does and why we should fight him. 
The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. But as Russell Moore pointed out in his excellent book, Tempted and Tried, I think we have become ignorant. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jeremiah said, speaking of God's words, your words were found and I did eat them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. Peter, speaking of the words of Jesus, said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God speaks to us through Isaiah, the passage we read this morning. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The apostle Paul said all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness. The writer of Hebrews put it this way, God's word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. But what has Satan said about God's word? You know what he said? Hath God really said? What happens every Sunday and whenever or wherever else the word is being preached, lines are drawn in the sand. The enemy plans to execute his schemes. He has one goal. When God's word is being shared, read, or preached, and it's to stop it, make it ineffective, and to distract you. This book, I love what you said about your, your manual for reading. That was excellent. Great analogy. This book, the words in this book, make claims that no other book can make and follows through on what it says or what he says. The words in this book, when believed, can set the captive prisoner free, bring life to those who are dead while they live. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, those in darkness can see light, the light. It holds the message of the gospel, the good news, that can save us from the wrath to come. This book, these words tell us how to live a life, a real life that is pleasing to God and can bring joy and satisfaction to us. It tells us about the most amazing man who ever walked this earth, a man who claimed to be God and tells us of our amazing future that many think sound only like a fairy tale. Jared Bumper said this, as preachers proclaim the gospel, they are engaging the enemy. They are mounting an assault on Satan's kingdom. Those who do not believe the gospel are under the blinding influence of Satan. Satan has blinded their minds to the glorious truths contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul said, even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The gospel threatens to overcome his blinding influence and overthrow his kingdom of darkness. Dave Harvey says this, preaching picks a fight with the enemy each week. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, Paul observed, to save those who believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 21. This, this means that sinners are snatched from the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 2. 
God using pre- uses preaching as a means to change people, to spring them from the enemy's dominion. Satan has an opinion about the gospel preaching. It must be stopped. Dave Harvey continues, and listen to this in light of every time Pastor Paul leaves his pulpit after preaching. He says, don't be naive in assuming the delivery of the message means your removal from his crosshairs. Message preparation with a study, meditation, and prayer has protective benefits. But after the sermon, though you're typically spent and empty, which is another way of saying you're vulnerable to an airstrike, the enemy is going to attack your pastor after he gets done preaching. John Piper said this with regard to the text we're going to be looking at, and you can be turning to Mark chapter 4 while I read this. Jesus told the parable of the four soils in Mark chapter 4. In it, the seed of the word of God is sown, and some falls on the path and birds quickly take it away. He explains in verse 15 that Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which, has, which was sown in them. Satan fights the word because he hates the faith with which the word produces. How shall they believe unless they hear? The word of God must go forth. And it's the word of God that stirs faith that causes people to believe. That's why Satan hates his word. That's why he hates his gospel. That's why he's drawing lines in the sand. That's why every time the word is being preached, he is waiting to steal it. Your pastor has rightly, I think, focused you for these past couple weeks and the weeks to follow on the word of God. And I think there's a reason for that. So let's look at our text with ears to hear. I think it was interesting how you exhorted the little children with their ears. Knowing we have an enemy perched in the rafters right now, wanting to make this time right now a total waste of your time. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Hear God's word. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil, and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside, everything is in parables." 
so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown from them. And these are the ones that are sown in rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are he- they're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for, for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now those words that we just read are the ones that Satan wants to steal. Not my words. It's the Lord's words that are eternal, that have eternal worth and beauty and value. My words can be forgotten, devalued. You can laugh at me. But the words that we just read, those are God's holy words, and they are eternal. And a couple things I want to notice before we jump into this text. First, who is speaking to us? Jesus, right. Jesus, the one who loves you and adores you, who fights for you, who intercedes daily for you, the one who created you and died for you and rose for you. Jesus, the one who holds you in his hand, who has gone to prepare a place for you. Jesus, who is king of the universe and isn't ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus, the one who will one day look at some of you in the eyes and say, welcome home. Now, I say some because it is very possible that some of you here this morning don't know him. And really, more importantly, he doesn't know you. And that should trouble you. But he is also the one who said, those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. This Jesus, the master of the waves, legions of demons, and Satan himself, the one who spoke the universe into existence and spoke to a little girl who said to her, little girl, I say to you, arise, and immediately she got up and began walking. It is this Jesus that prayed that we wouldn't be taken out of the world but kept from the evil one, this one. This Jesus is the one who is speaking to us this morning, and he is wanting our undivided attention because he says, listen, behold. Now, it's important to think about this. Words matter. Ideas have consequences. We are a people of a book. A book with words in it. 
words that are breathed out by God, that are inerrant, that are trustworthy, reliable, and enough. Words that form sentences, form paragraphs, that form thoughts, that produce actions, that produce habits, that produce lifestyles. Words, God's words spoken to us today. You probably didn't think you were gonna get an English lesson, huh? And he says to us, listen, we don't see Jesus saying this a lot in the gospels. So when we hear him say, listen, it's probably important. So let us listen to our savior with ears of children who are about to be told a family secret. Long hidden, a family secret of the utmost importance, a secret about a hidden treasure that nobody else knows about. Let us come close so we won't miss a single part of this secret. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to simply read the text and add some comment. But before we do that, let's pray. Huh? Let's pray. Now this prayer might scare you, but pray. You may not say amen when I pray this, but just kind of come with me, okay? Lord of the universe, your enemy and ours wants this time to have no value. He wants to devour your precious life-giving words. You said in your word, if we resist him, he will flee. You taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. So we do this now. We corporately say, Satan, we resist you in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, to deliver us from the evil one. We don't know all that is going on right now in the unseen world as we are praying, but we trust your word, your power, your authority. Grant us the ability to take up the sword of the spirit, which is your word. Help us to wield it with deadly accuracy against our foul enemy. We do not pray in our own authority or in our name, but in your name that is above all names, the name that every knee will bow before, the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. For the sake of time, we're going to go right into Jesus' interpretation of this parable after we look at verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me, if you will. Jesus says, listen, behold, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Do you see the ruthless, destructive totality of what the birds have done with the seed? They devoured it. There was nothing left, no remnants, and notice it was birds. This is a full-out attack from our enemy and his minions. Now look at verse 9. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is an interesting statement, huh? We all have ears. I've got this thing hanging on my ear. But not all of us have ears that hear. And those of us who have ears to hear, do we hear? 
Are our ears more in tune or more prone to hear what we are saying to ourselves or what others are saying to us or what Satan is saying more than what our Savior is saying to us? The sower, Jesus Christ, is sowing right now. We got to see this. This is not some game we're playing here. Jesus is sowing the word right now as I speak. As soon as we walk out those doors, the birds are waiting. They're hungry. They're ravenously hungry. Or they may be perched right on your shoulder right now. And they're whispering, what about the roast in the oven? Or can you believe those people are here in this church? Well, I'm glad they're here because they need to hear this. Or who is this guy shouting around in the pulpit? Does he even know what he's really talking about? Maybe you might need to take a moment again right now and say, be gone, enemy, in Jesus' name. What we are doing right now is not child's play. I look at it this way. I believe that swords are being handed out every Sunday. Right? Paul talks about the armor of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Swords are being handed out every day. Satan wants you to leave that sword on the ground. And he doesn't want God's Word to produce faith in you. A faith that will cause you to take up the shield of faith. So that you can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Darts that are coming at you. Some of you may have come in this church with an arrow hanging out of your back. And you don't realize that the enemy has another arrow notched. And it's pointing at you. And the Lord is offering us gifts to fight. Our king is saying, listen, listen, take up your shield, wield the sword I'm giving to you. And I think this is the goal of the message this morning, is to get you to see that coming here every Sunday is something different than what you might have seen it as before. Maybe you can learn to see Pastor Paul up on this platform with an arsenal of swords and shields that he wants to hand out to you for your battle. The question is, will you see this need for the weaponry? It's interesting, Jesus fought our enemy with this phrase over and over again. It is written. It is written. It is written. One time he actually said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written question is, do we know God's word enough to fight with those words? It is written. You are focusing for these weeks on the word of God. You are learning to take up your sword and to take up your shield. 
Can you fight the enemy with those phrases? It is written. Do you know God's word well enough to fight him? Now let's look back at our passage. In verse 10. And when he was alone around those, uh, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. There's so much we could say about this, but let me stay and say this. We have just been let in on a secret. A secret is something that not everyone knows. It is privileged information. You see that? To you has been given the secret. You see that? <laughs> to us has been given the secret. <laughs> we have been given a secret. Don't you love secrets? And there's something about, oh, I got a secret. It's like we all go out. What, 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 what's a secret? Jesus is giving us a secret. You and I have been let in on a secret that the majority of the world does not know. And part of that secret is that God has a kingdom because he is king. And his kingdom is eternal, it's majestic, it's pure, it's holy, it's righteous, omnipresent, fully encompassing. And this king came to earth and became a man, lived a perfect life. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, fed the hungry, set the demon-possessed free. His people mocked him, beat him, stripped him, crucified him. But really, it was the Father who crucified him as our king. And Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for you and I, to set us free from the penalty of sin, and God's just wrath so that through simple faith the cry of the repentant heart that calls out to him will be saved this is amazing yet your enemy your venomous treacherous blaspheming enemy is perched on some of your shoulders saying come on let's leave this is crazy stuff When I was camped on this part of the sermon, I found myself crying. I don't know if all of you here are saved. And the enemy's playing with you. He has a kingdom as well. It's a kingdom of darkness. You don't want to play in that kingdom. He said, get out of here. I'm never coming back again. But the enemy's king is pressing on your heart right now saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. I died for you. Take my hand. Be mine. Turn to me and be forgiven. Take his hand. Reach out right now and believe. I think for some of you, you've heard this message over and over and over again. Stop pushing him away. He loves you. Come to him.
He will not cast you out. Your sin isn't so bad. It's so horrible that he won't accept you. Look at our passage in verse 12. So they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. What's troubling about this verse is that some may never come. Some may never hear. And this should grieve our heart. It should break our hearts. Do you know unbelievers that seem so far away from the kingdom? Does it break your heart? It should. And when it breaks your heart, it should cause you to pray. Verses 13 through 15. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Oh, may we see how evil our enemy is. How cunning. How hateful. Jesus is tipping Satan's hand. His tactic We saw it at the very beginning of our Bible when he arrogantly said, hath God said. Satan wants to destroy the one thing that can set us free. He doesn't mind you doing the church thing. You get this? He didn't mind you just coming and walking into the church. Just playing the church game. He probably doesn't mind you singing. Signing up to serve in childcare. He doesn't mind. Probably doesn't mind you signing up to be a youth group leader. He probably doesn't mind you even becoming a deacon or an elder. But do not open this book. Do not read this book. Do not listen to those words and do not believe them. The words of God have changed nations. You realize that. This book has changed nations. It's caused revival in some of the darkest times of human history. God's words have caused normal content husband and wives, to sell everything and go to a country where they behead followers of Christ. It's caused, caused little old grandmas to buy one-way tickets to mission fields that even young Bible students are afraid to go. Satan wants that word, and he wants to devour it. Don't let him have it. Fight for it. Focus like your life depends upon it, because it does. Now, I'm talking about the life that Jesus promised. I'm talking about real life. He who loses his life for my sake will what? Find life. That's not what the world's telling you. You have two voices screaming in your ear. Unfortunately, we turn up the volume of the world. Verse 16. This is going to get real personal because we're going to find out the soil is really us. 
different stages of our life with Christ, our times with Christ, our walks with Christ. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Woo! Love that message! And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Notice how the word immediately is used twice. Immediately, they receive it with joy, and immediately they fall away. And haven't we all been here at least once in our life? We have great excitement about a certain sermon. Ah, that was just so good. Oh, man, that was good. (laughs) I've been there. But as soon as trials come to test whether we believe what we've heard, or when someone someone comes along and makes fun of you for believing it, or simply just rolls their eyes. Isn't that funny how someone rolling their eyes can make us cower? Oh, brother. I mean, what is that? Oh, brother. I mean, like, why do we cower to it? Oh, brother. I mean, what is that? Seriously. Oh. <laughs> oh, he rolled his eyes at me. Come on. <laughs> this could happen with regards to this sermon. Someone's going to say, so what did you hear about in, in, in church on Sunday? <laughs> well, we learned about Satan. Oh, brother. <laughs> We immediately fall away. Now, this is not reference to our salvation, but the loss of the beauty and the freedom and the joy of the truth we learned. We received it with joy. Why do we receive it with joy? Because it's true. Doesn't our heart ignite when we hear truth? It's like, yes. Satan wants to steal that joy. Satan hates joyful Christians like spitting hate. He hates it. We're almost done. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. This is going to get real personal. (laughs) But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Again, it's important to note that all the places that the word falls in this text is us in various states of our walks with the Lord. I think verses 18 and 19, what we just read, pegs most Christians in the U.S. Wouldn't you agree? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Why why are riches deceitful? What's so deceitful about them? What do they promise that they don't deliver? I think we can all fill in the blank. Yeah. The multi-billion, I can't remember who it was, I've read, about, I read articles about these multi-million billionaires. So how much would it take to make you happy? He goes, just a little bit more. A little bit more, you're making billions of dollars. Just a little bit more, then I'd really be happy. It's deceitful. 
and desires for other things. Isn't that funny? I mean, we're all guilty. This, I'm not here point. I'm like this. Can I share with you a verse that has helped me fight this temptation? If you will, if you got your Bible, turn and keep your finger on Mark, but turn to 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 18. This will help you. I have to keep going here a lot. I think, I think especially in America, we are so, man, this is our Achilles heel. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, it says, as for the rich in this present age. Now, you may not be living on a mansion, but compared to half the world around the world, you are rich. We are rich. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. I fly a lot for Crossway, and I'm gold with United, and we have the United, you know, little, uh, like, special room where we can go and be catered hand and foot. I, 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 can't, I can't go anymore. I said, I'd, because it's such, such a hoity-toity, like, look at me. Oh, can I have another little glass of... My plate's dirty. I'm like, what? What? Charge them not to be haughty. Not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. A couple of things to point out here in this verse. I think it's helpful. Riches are uncertain. God is not. God is not uncertain. He is certain. And he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is not a killjoy. God is not up there going, you should not be enjoying that steak. You should not be enjoying that sunrise. You should not be enjoying the Cubs win. No, he's given us all things richly to enjoy. But he has. Where is our focus I don't know, this, it's helped me. I mean, and to, and to store up treasures in heaven that we may take hold of that which is truly life. True life is not hoarding. I was, um, I'm, I'm, I'm out pitching a book right now called Remember Death. Fascinating book. Uh, the, the man who wrote the book is a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. The average churchgoer is between 20 and 30. And the whole book is on an old Christian um, discipline. And the discipline was to think about death. That was part of your Christian training and discipleship, is think on death. Kind of morbid, huh? Ecclesiastes says you should spend more time in funerals than parties. Now he's preaching this to 20, 30-somethings who think they're never going to die. And he makes a couple stark statements. He goes, 100 years ago or less, there was a time you could hear grandmother dying in the back room of your house. 
rattling and coughing in the back. You're being exposed to death. Now we put them in a nice little sterile hospital room. We can go and visit, bring some flowers. Oh, we love you, and walk away. We don't like dealing with death. But he makes a statement in the book. He said he likes going to estate sales. He said estate sales are interesting because what you find is a curation of someone's whole life. <laughs> now, my, my stepfather, who's really like my dad, died last Christmas. It was devastating to be in the hospital in, at Christmas time. I mean, it's so many things. Anyway, I was talking with my mom, and we were thinking about doing an estate sale just to kind of get her out from all the pressures and everything. And you know what they say about estate sales? That the immediate family are not allowed to go. You know why? That vase is of huge importance to our family. My mom searched Hill and Dale to find that vase, and you're only going to pay $5 for it? Excuse me. That's our treasure. I'll give you $4.50. (laughs) You don't understand. No, no, you don't understand. Estate sales kind of like bring us down to what is our life about and what are we focused on consuming? I'll never forget, I went to go uh, to Minneapolis once. I was in a real funk when I was pastoring and a friend of mine who works for Design God Ministries and John Piper. And he said, why don't you come out and visit? You know, just hang out. So I went, and, and John, John loves uh, Pizza Hut. So we met at Pizza Hut, and he pulled up in this beat-up station wagon. Now I'm saying, I'm not here yet. He pulled up in a beat-up station wagon, and I asked my buddy, I said, what's up with that? He goes, Danny, he really believes the word. I said, what do you mean? He's storing up treasures in heaven. <laughs> now this is not a guilt trip. This is, not, this is not, everybody needs to now sell everything they got and go buy, buy an old beat-up Chevy, which some of us might think was kind of cool. But it's like, right? All right, let's move on. We're almost done. But those, let's look at it back at our text in Mark chapter 4 and verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, we are not told here what the fruit looks like or what it is, are we? Look, look at the text. It doesn't say what it is. We don't know what 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold would look like, do we? Do we? I mean, do you see it? I don't see it. But our king, Jesus, is letting us in on a secret of the kingdom. God's word is sown all over the world. Today, in thousands of churches, God's word is going out and it's being sown. For some, it will fall on deaf ears. Some will walk out of of church as they have for years and years, and ask questions like, I'm not sure this church is for me. 
the preacher just doesn't have it like he used to. Now, there is a responsibility on the shoulders of the preachers, and we feel it. But the secret that we are learning here this morning is that really the responsibility for growth, life, fruitfulness lands on you. You see this? You know, if we just had a better preacher, you know, if we just had, you know, I was at a conference. Man, if we could have him in our church, man. I had a buddy, again, worked for, uh, actually went to John Piper's church years and years and years. He sent me an interesting email. He said, Danny, can you pray for my spiritual life? I said, you're sitting under John Piper. Maybe some of you don't know who he is, but to me, he's like one of the greatest preachers that I've ever heard. He's like, you sit under him like three days a week. It's not the dynamic preacher. It's the soil. You see this? This falls on you. And me. The question is, are we going to fight? Are we coming to church ready to listen, ready to add to our arsenal. God is kind to his church in that the church doesn't need dynamic preachers, skilled orators, straight-A students from seminaries in its pulpits. He needs someone who will simply preach his word and to be his oracle. And then he needs a church filled with people who will fight the enemy and simply receive and believe his word and let it affect him. Hebrews 4.2 says this, for the good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Everybody's got, the, everybody's got the free, everybody's on the same playing field. You all walked down the same playing field this morning. Some of us are going to walk out of here changed. It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you're a better Christian. It's like you're going, yes, yes, yes. It's mine. I was, I was, I was planting this one church years ago and I had all these books. And a guy came and visited me. He said, you know, Danny, I said, man, you got a lot of big library. I said, yeah, thanks. And I was so proud of my library. He goes, but you're the most uptight guy I know. I said, okay. He said, there's a lady in my church who's married to an alcoholic. She gets beaten once, twice, maybe three times a week. And she is the most content, peaceful woman I've ever met. And she really only knows one verse. I said, Okay. So, like, what's the verse? The battle is the Lord's. Now, the difference between me and her is I could dissect that, get all the Hebrew and all the nuances and give you three points and have great... She just believed it. She goes, that's mine. It benefits her because she goes, yes. See, it's like Pastor Paul comes up and preaches every Sunday. Oh, man, can we get... 
Yes, yes, yes. We need to grab God's word and say, mine. I'm making this part of my life. These are the words of life. Nowhere else can I go. I am going to eat them. I am going to meditate on them. I am going to fight with them. My enemy is a liar. My God and his words are true, trustworthy, and unerrant. Jesus asks a very poignant question in our text. Do you understand this parable? Do you? Do I? Will I change the way I come to church? The way I do life? Or will I just let that schemer, that blasphemer, that deceiver, the one who one day will be crushed under our feet, to eat that word out of my heart when I walk out these doors this morning? Jesus gave us a secret. He let us in on Satan's plans. Let us plan accordingly. Amen. You want to end in prayer? a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. And all the Sins.
washed white, I owe to you, I owe to you, Jesus. There's a place where sin and shame are with God and forgiveness all the love I've ever found comes like a flood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross I surrender my life, I'm in all of you, I'm in all of you, where your love ran red, and my sins washed white, I owe to you, I owe to you, and I owe to you. is found here on holy ground here my bow down here I bow down here arms open wide here you save my life here I bow down here I bow and at the cross and the cross I surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you where your love ran red and my sins washed white I owe to you I owe to you and at the cross at the cross surrender my life I'm in all of you I'm in all of you where your love ran red and my sins washed white I owe to you I owe to you and I owe to you 